Please be seated. You may remember the song from childhood. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Simple song expressing a childlike faith in God's care for the world. History, my life, all held in the loving hands of God. Good Friday says, yes, he's got the whole world in his hands, but those hands holding the world are scarred. They are scarred from securing our salvation. They are scarred from bearing our blame. Blame is so much at the heart of this drama. Blame, the offloading of your own pain and suffering onto another. The terror of taking responsibility for oneself and one's commitments and blaming another for one's distress. Pilate can blame the crowd. Caiaphas, who said it's better for one man to die for the people than for the entire people to go under, he blames political expediency. Judas, Judas, who is perhaps annoyed that Jesus isn't going to lead a political revolution overthrowing Rome, he blames Jesus himself and decides to take matters into his own hand. Peter, maybe he blames the disciples. Maybe he blames himself. Mary, mother of our Lord, in her own despair and confusion at the foot of the cross, I wonder if she felt tempted to blame the disciples for encouraging this dangerous mission. Blame is a central thread in the Passion account. And there's one who I haven't mentioned here, but could be the source of all this blame. Perhaps the actors on the stage aren't worth blaming. Perhaps the playwright himself is responsible for this madness. The Old Testament raises the question repeatedly, how long, O Lord? How long until you save us? How long until, until you uphold your justice and mercy? How long until good overcomes evil? How long until your name is vindicated? Underneath these questions, simmer the feeling that God and his lack of justice is to blame for the world's turmoil. I would suggest that underneath each of these characters in the passion story is something of a simmering blame of God. How in the world did I wake up in this mess? What am I supposed to do? Allow me to draw this blaming of God out a little further. One of the greatest atheists of all time is a fictional character in Fyodor Dostoevsky's masterpiece the brothers Karamazov. He's named Ivan. Ivan Karamazov essentially makes the argument 
that the suffering of one child, whether it be torture, a senseless murder, brain cancer, that one intolerable act undermines the very justice of creation, like a drop of red dye in a cup of water. And even more, how in the world could God continue to run a world where even one innocent being could suffer? For Ivan, if God continues this world, if he holds it in being, no matter the reason, God is unjust, even wicked, and it's all a farce. God and his lack of moral uprightness undermines our own sense of morality. For Ivan, we sin because, well, because God sins. That's atheism's challenge. It's not just that God is non-existent. It's that if he does exist, it's a God we should not want to believe in. And if Good Friday is going to mean anything in our day, it will have to reckon with Ivan's charge. And it should also reckon with Pilate's charge, who's struggling in a similar way. What even is truth? Pilate, a very powerful man, a man convinced of the truth of Jesus's innocence, still wonders what truth is. And though he has tremendous power, notice his power makes him guilty. He washes his hands, symbolizing his own inability to cope with his responsibility and guilt. Pilate shows us the way of power, and for many, especially who struggle with atheism's great critique, power, control, is the most intoxicating rush we can get before our final breath. You also have Peter. <clears throat> Peter is well-intentioned. Peter loves Jesus. Peter loves the idea of love. Peter is resolute. Lord, I will never deny you. But Peter, when the world gets heavy, slides toward the side of the stage. He wanted a main part in the drama until he saw where the drama was headed. It is a chilly night, and Peter has his hands over a fire, warming them. He cannot get any final peace, so he goes for the next best thing, comfort, warm hands. Ivan Karamazov says that the church is guilty of two things, control and comfort, of offering people both, because the church too is afraid of answering the summons of his critique that the world cannot ultimately be justified. And therefore, it either promises people control over their lives, or it palliates the rawness of life itself with little trinkets of comfort. But Ivan, for all his fiery logic, still must reckon with Jesus. If you were to sum up Jesus' entire interrogation before Pilate, it would hinge on the question of authority. Who are you? Are you a king? If you are, whose king are you? Jesus answered him that his authority is not from this world. It's what he's been saying his entire life in, God's, in John's gospel. I don't have authority in the way you think of it. 
secured and shored up by political or geographic power. My authority is totally given me by my Father. And this is an authority that cannot be defended by violence. So you are a king then, Pilate wonders. It is you who say it. Pilate has no clue what to make of it. And so puzzled, he asks, what is truth? What does truth even mean? What is authority? What is power? And Jesus looks at him and he doesn't respond. We don't know why he doesn't respond. But my guess is because Jesus cannot justify himself according to Pilate's convoluted, power-drunk logic. The word made flesh, the word that has spoken so much in John's gospel, is now silent. It's as if to say, for me to justify myself in your language is to let your violence determine the horizon of my action. My authority is totally given to me, and I give it all away. I have nothing to say. Just watch. And here, with his hands tied behind his back, the eternal word manages to hold his silence out like a terrible gift. Ivan Karamazov delivers his stinging critique of Christianity to his younger brother, Alyosha. Alyosha has a simple and saint-like faith. He hears Ivan's critique, and he doesn't hear the airtight logic of an atheist. He doesn't track the fine-spun argument of a philosopher. Alyosha listens to his brother and sees his hurt and his pain and his resentment. And with the innocent eyes of a child, Alyosha sees his brother's sadness. He looks at him lovingly and gently, and without saying a word, he rises, he crosses the room, and he kisses him. Alyosha's kiss is Dostoevsky's response to Ivan's atheism. It's the transcendence of suffering in and through the silent witness of love. It's not an answer, but an action. And the truth of Good Friday is that God doesn't create or uphold a world that he isn't willing to suffer. He's got the whole world in his hands, but his hands are scarred. And those scars like Alyosha's kiss show us love. It's God saying to us, I'll take the blame. I'll take the blame. I'll take your blame. He doesn't justify himself. His life is justified by another. He is free to love, free to identify with the pain of others. Surely this man was innocent. How do we know? He blamed no one. He took our blame. This is the life and love offered in Jesus. It's his heart opened up in love to flood the world, and it's his hands forever changed proudly bearing the scars it took to bring us home. He does have the whole world in his hands, and his hands aren't full of possessive power, nor are they offering us meaningless comfort. They are the scarred hands of love. And these hands want to lead us into a life beyond self-justification, 
into the quiet witness of love. Our hearts freed up for generous acts of love because Jesus has taken our blame. There's only love with Jesus. And to take another's blame, to be present in another's suffering, to refuse to let someone walk alone, to listen, to listen quietly to their blaming of life or God or themselves, just to be there in silent witness is to grow a little bit more into the love that Jesus has showed for us today.